I just want to share this with you before we um, get started officially. Why I think, well, it's not why, it's a little bit of an interesting um, confirmation of why I think studying your Bible is so important. Have any of you ever heard of megachurches? Megachurch is defined as a church, I think, with, I don't know if it's 5,000 or 15,000 members or more in one congregation. Um, there's quite a few of them in the United States now in that category between 15 and 30,000 members. Um, the, the sort of the mother of the megachurches is Willow Creek, which is just outside Chicago. Now, um, many Christian denominations have been going to Willow Creek for the last 20 years, learning how to do church, how to uh, minister to their communities, as it were, and, and, and grow their numbers and be more popular. Y'all can come on in. Um, we're not quite started yet, anyway. But um, this last summer, a book was um, released which detailed a, a five-year, multi-million-dollar study that Willow Creek did on itself. Um, they were trying to figure out which of the programs, because they're sort of a program-driven church, which of the programs which they offered their members and which their members were drawn to, which of them helped them grow spiritually. Now, I'm not sure exactly how they qualified spiritual growth, but it had to do with loving and serving God and loving and serving people more. You know, it was, uh, that, that was sort of their benchmark of uh, spiritual growth. And uh, it's very interesting because while, while the Christian world has been adopting Willow Creek's model because it grew the numbers... Willow Creek's self-analysis revealed that the programs that they were focusing on were not helping people grow spiritually. You have to give them some credit for being honest about it. But uh, the senior pastor, Bill Hibble, actually says this, and it's quoted in Christianity Today, so I'm just going to read this to you. He says, we made a mistake. Some of the stuff that we have put millions of dollars into thinking it would really help our people grow and develop spiritually. When the data actually came back, it wasn't helping people that much. Other things that we didn't put that much money into and didn't put much staff against is stuff our people are crying out for. Now, we know, or if you are familiar with Willow Creek, you know some of the things they put a lot of money into, other programs and clubs and small groups and organizations. But notice what he says, the senior pastor says, um, they should have done. What we should have done when people crossed the line of faith and became Christians, we should have started telling people and teaching people that they have to take responsibility to become self-feeders. We should have gotten people, taught people, how to read their Bible between services. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? how to do the spiritual practices more aggressively on their own. In other words, what Willow Creek discovered from a multi-year, multi-million dollar study analysis is that reading your Bible and praying helps you grow spiritually more than the popular programs they were having in their churches. It's sort of a rebuke to those of us who have gone trying to imitate and duplicate when really we have had the answer all along, especially Seventh-day Adventists, haven't we? That's not to say that... That's not to say that a program that encourages independent Bible study and prayer and real spiritual growth is going to necessarily attract hundreds and thousands of people. It may not be the most popular. But which is better, to have a popular church with lots of people going, but even their own analysis says they're not really being helped spiritually, or to have a smaller church where people are actually growing in the Lord. I think we'd rather have the smaller, wouldn't we? In fact, it's been typical in, um, in history that the majority are not really that interested in the religion of Jesus. So I just thought I'd share that with you um, because I thought, I thought it was very fascinating that the the Christian world has discovered that Bible study and prayer and witnessing are keys to spiritual growth. And um, that's, what, that's what a CYC is sort of all about, isn't it? About how to, how to grow spiritually. And, and we do that by Bible study, prayer, and, and outreach and witnessing. Well, let's go ahead and begin. Uh, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you've called us here. We thank you that um, we can come to this quiet place and we can study 
and we can learn how to better study your word. As we spend the next few minutes talking about some principles, some basic um, habits perhaps, some methods of Bible study, I pray that the material that we share and the thoughts that we think would, uh, would be beneficial. I pray that your spirit would be here to guide our hearts and to, to lead us into a closer walk with you. We thank you for this, these gifts in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to first talk, about, um, first talk about why we have devotions or why we spend time in Bible study. Um, there, there are many reasons, I suppose, that we could... You know what might be helpful if those of you who are sitting in this section could just move to that side. So when people come in, thank you very much. Then, you could, um, then they could have a seat uh, a little more comfortably. Um, why, why do we have Bible study? Why do we spend time in personal devotions? Um, I, suppose, I, suppose if you, I suppose if you were, um, if you were a, a person who is seeking for truth, for answers in your life, um, there would be some really uh, um, personal, very... Uh, practical reasons that you want to find answers, find peace, find joy, find happiness. But as a young person, uh, you know, I grew up in the Adventist church. And so I wasn't really trying to, I, I didn't find myself challenged as far as what I believed. I didn't really, I didn't really come up against, you know, a brick wall where I was the bottom of the barrel and I had nowhere to look but up. I didn't really come into a position where I, I, I doubted my uh, doctrines. And so the question I asked myself was, why should I study the Bible? Why do I study the Bible? Is it just a habit that you should form? You know, you should form, but is there a good reason for it? I can tell you that um, for some of us, especially new Adventists, um, or those who didn't grow up in the Adventist faith, what happens is when you, when you go through an experience sort of like what Jeffrey described this morning, where you, you come into contact with Bible truth, doctrinal truth, like prophecy and state of the dead and the Sabbath and all these wonderful things. You're like, wow, yes. And so Bible study becomes really, really exciting where you're just like, wow. And your, your, your goal is to go out and share it with people because this is just revolutionary. People don't know this. They need to know this, right? And so when, when you're in that, when you're in that environment, you, you, you really do gain a thirst for Bible study. But you know what? Every new ad Adventist, if time lasts, becomes an old Adventist. You know what I'm saying? And it, it comes to the point where even a, a new Adventist is tempted to, shall we say, lose their first love. It, it's as if they reach a plateau of spiritual knowledge. They know the doctrines, they know the Sabbath, they know the state of the dead, they know sanctuary, they know all of these things, and they know it well enough that they can share with others, and there's a temptation to just sort of ease off of the of the intensity maybe of bible study and maybe lose some of the fervor that comes when you're discovering new truth and so as i've examined my own life and as i've watched new adventists and being involved in evangelism for the last 15 years or so i've had the privilege of of seeing many many new adventists come in and have that excitement and that fervor and that thirst for the scriptures but the question is what's going to keep that you know what's what's going to what's going to keep that alive i've come to the conclusion that we need to have clear in our minds what our purpose for personal devotions really is and so i'm just going to share with you what i've concluded from my own experience and i'd i'd present that to you as something for you to pray about to ask the lord about in your own life in your own devotional life i've i've concluded that the purpose for me having devotions on a daily basis is not for me to learn my doctrines better. It's not for me to learn something that I can convince somebody else with. The purpose for me having my devotions, first and foremost, is that I might have a walk with Jesus for that day. Now when I say that, I want to back up just a bit. And I'm, you know, this is not a seminar on soteriology or salvation we're not talking about primarily about what it means to be saved or how to be saved but as i understand it there are two things primarily intellectually that i need to be cognizant of aware of every single day in order for me to have a consistent christian life one is the character of god his love for me his faithfulness his compassion his his patience his unconditional love number two is my need of him 
you know, you can have the first, but if you don't have the second, it almost becomes a little irrelevant, irrelevant because I, I become confident in myself. I become comfortable with the status quo. I'm an Adventist. I'm a vegetarian. I, you know, I eat Loma Linda or Worthington or whatever it is. <laughs> I become comfortable in the status quo. And the only way that I know to consistently cooperate with the Holy Spirit in helping Him to show me my need is for me to spend time in the Bible. Does that make sense? The two things that I need intellectually to know and to be aware of and have impressed upon my, my reason on a daily basis, one is the character of God, and second is my need for Him that day. I don't know about you, but did you ever have those days where you wake up in the morning and you just feel like studying the Bible? Amen. Sometimes you do, and wow, that's sweet. That is so precious. It's just like you don't want to tear yourself away from the Word of God. I wish I was like that every day, but I'm going to be honest. I hope this doesn't discourage any of you from... Uh, uh, listening to the rest of this hour, but uh, I'll be honest, I don't always feel that way. I don't always feel like I just can't wait to roll out of bed and pray. Some days, I, I, you know, I, it just it doesn't come to me that way. I wake up and something else is on my mind, something else is on my heart. I'm thinking of, of the burdens or the cares or distractions, or I get a phone call or something takes me away, and I don't even feel any great need to pray. There was a, a pastor many years ago that well, not that many. I'm not that old. So a few years ago, there was a pastor who said something that I really, uh, I really, really sort of stopped in my tracks. He said, you know, we need to pray when we feel a need to pray. But we also need to pray when we don't feel a need to pray. He said, ultimately, we need to pray until we feel the need to pray. I thought, wow, that's what devotions are for. Devotions are to tell me in the morning, remind me of my, my weakness and God's strength. It's, remind, it's to remind me that I need to keep depending upon Him, that I am nothing and He is everything, that He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the author and the finisher. He, Jesus, is my only hope today. And only when I have that reminder... Only when I have that reminder can I, every day, can I live a consistent Christian life. Because otherwise, this is, this is just my own experience. You can take it for what it's worth. My own experience is that if I don't have that daily reminder, what happens is I become complacent, I become self-confident. And I go throughout my day thinking I can do it all right. And the devil backs off and he gives us freedom, room to go ahead and do things on our own for a while. And once we become pretty much self-assured and disconnected, then he comes with his temptation and then comes discouragement because I've failed and I've said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing. And I think, well, I never learned. The secret for me, at least, is to every day allow the Lord to show me my great need to spend uh, time with him so that he can teach me what I need to know for that day. So my first point that I want to make this afternoon is that we have devotions not to be able to prove the Bible true, not to be able to prove the Adventist message true. I have devotions because I need to know for myself this day what my need for the Savior is. And you know, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're a new Adventist or an old Adventist. It's the same. And so if, you've, if you're in that new first love experience and you're really thirsting and, and eating up the Bible, praise the Lord. But convert that insatiable desire for, for, for facts and figures and Bible doctrinal truths into a realization of a need every day for an awareness of your own heart. And if you're not on that first love, we can recover it by spending time with, with the Lord and in His Word. So we're going to be talking about a couple of things here. Um, we're going to be looking at some, uh, some methods that can be used. I'm going to run through a couple of things that, that can be, um, shall I say, they could be 
um, ideas maybe to jumpstart your devotions or to help you get some variety perhaps if it's mundane or boring. I'm going to go through some questions that you can ask that will help you think about what you're reading. Have you ever gotten up in the morning and read and when you finished reading you didn't know what you read? Um, I've, I've done that. I've been there. And, um, and so I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to be talking about some, um, some, just some of my personal experiences and maybe I'll just, I'm just going to talk, I'm just going to do a couple of things um, to get them out of the way, just share a couple of ideas and then we're going to get into the main core and that is how to sort of dig into a passage or how to, how to um, ask questions and, and uh, get the most out of your Bible study, okay? So I'm going to give you some ideas. I don't know how to give them to you with a one-hour presentation, as much as I want to cover, without just giving you someone as a bolded list. They may not seem connected, but I'm going to give you some ideas, okay? First of all, if you don't really know where to read, where to study, I want to give you some ideas. I have found it very helpful to uh, read the, the Bible, a Bible passage with the spirit of prophecy nearby or in parallel as a commentary. Okay? So, how do you do that? I would recommend, and I, I, I personally believe very strongly in the spirit of prophecy as a great gift to God's church. Amen. I don't think it should replace the Bible, but I believe it helps me understand the Bible and rightly use it helps me appreciate the Bible more as well. Um, but what, hap- what I like to do, and I tell my students, don't, don't use other non-inspired books for your devotions. There may be good Christian books out there, that's great. But when you are studying them for your devotions, you need to know that you have a, a, a really a, a direct connection between you and heaven. You shouldn't be having to say when you read something in the morning for your personal devotions, um, is that true or is it not? You understand? Everything else that I'm not confident is inspired, I have to be testing and proving. And my devotions really isn't the ideal time for that. I need to be allowing God just open access to my heart and saying, whoa, if it says that, I may not like it, I may not even agree with it, but that's inspired, and I've got to obey it, I've got to listen to it. And that's sort of, that's why I encourage us to use the Bible to speak prophecy. I would encourage you, if you're sort of at ground zero, I would encourage you to take the Conflict of Ages series. Do you realize that if you read ten pages of the Conflict of the Ages series, that's Patriarchs and Prophets, Prophets and Kings, Desire of Ages, Acts of the Apostles, and Great Controversy. If you read ten pages of those five books every day, you will, well, maybe it's morning and evening, I think it's morning and evening, you will finish all five books in one year. Um, it doesn't, it's, ten pages isn't that many, really. And you can even go down to the ABC and they have all five books, plus Christ, Sabbath, Lesson, Subs, Christ, and Mount of Blessing, in one little paper, not paper, soft back binding. And you can take it when you travel. I carry that everywhere I go. And so, ten pages a day. This is what I do. When, I'm, when I have no other real interest that I'm studying, if I just sort of have a default plan, it's I go to where I left off in the Conflict of the Ages series, and I begin reading those ten pages, and as I'm reading those ten pages, those, those, that story is about some passage in the Bible, right? And so, I'll read that passage in the Bible, and then I'll read the ten pages in the Spirit of Prophecy, and I'll cross-reference the two. In other words, when I read a verse in the, in the, in the Spirit of Prophecy, and I say, wow, it may not say where in the Bible that's from. I'll think, I wonder if I can find that verse. I'll get out my concordance or I'll try to remember where it is. And then I'll write in the margin of my Spirit of Prophecy book the reference that she alluded to. What that does for me is it's not only giving me an inspired, amplified version of the passages I'm reading in the Bible, but it's helping me to learn not just that passage of the Bible better, but as I'm cross-referencing my Bible to that passage, I'm learning my whole Bible better. Does that make sense? It's just an idea. I'm not going to... I'm not going to dwell on that too much. But the Spirit of Prophecy is a wonderful tool that I have used to help me get um, off of a flat-footed start, I guess you might say, in my devotional experience. Sometimes when you read the Bible, it just doesn't come alive. But when I read what Ellen White commented about that Bible story, the applications to my personal life become very plain and very apparent. Okay? Um, Another thing that I've learned is that I have a problem. This is my personal experience. You can, you can um, perhaps learn from it, or you may have a different experience. There's some more seats up here if you all would like to, to join. Um, 
We can probably, is it okay if I move this guitar? I can move my coat. Don't need that here. We live in a digital age. Okay? And so we are very much accustomed to doing everything with some sort of a connection. Um, I, I often say I don't think very well without my computer in front of me. It's hard for me even with a pen or pencil because I, I can type so much faster than I can write. And when I'm, when I'm trying to write it, I just, it's just really bad. You can't read it. I can't read it afterwards. So I, just, I have to get my computer. But what I found is that when I pull up my computer... You know, I get out of bed in the morning or I'm going to have devotions in the evening. I pull up my computer and what do you think I see on my desktop? I see something that I need to do, an email I need to respond to, something that I need to work on, an instant message. There you go, connection. I, I wonder about the news or the weather. And before you know it, I, I'm just telling you my own weakness, um, I haven't had devotions I've been doing something else. So I've, I've found a couple of things that can help. One is create a different username on your computer so you can log in with a different desktop and different settings and different everything. And that can sometimes help me. What I've also done, and this is my, my, my study, what I've done is I've set up my computer on one desk. And I have a desk that keep, I keep clean that with, with my back to my computer where I have my devotions. That allows me, if I need to use my computer to look something up, I can, I can use it, but I, my study is with the Bible. Now, again, you, you work out what works with you, but if you want to have consistent devotions, you have to do something. Like we, we, we've been learning this week. Was it Jeffrey talking about um, action? No, it was, it, was, it, was, um, it was Matt this morning. Um, I don't know. I'm, I, I mix all the things I learn up into one blessing. So at any rate, we've, you're, you do something about it, and that shows that you're really earnest about having your devotions. For me, it means either staying away from my computer, using a different username, or just, just uh, putting my desk separately so that I can have devotions. Okay, uh, one, one idea. Now let's move on from that into just some other principles. Another one that I would like to encourage is that you take notes. Now, if you travel a lot, like I do, you may end up having to um, adapt um, how you take notes, whether it's on a computer or it's on a Palm Pilot, something that you can, you can use. Um, most of the time, I think it's helpful if you're studying a passage to reference your notes on a daily basis, not so much chronologically as by the passage. If you, if you take notes on loose leaf paper, you can put them in binders and organize them by the passages. That way, if you go back and study another passage again, you can always pull out those notes or look at those notes and see what you learned last time, sort of start where you left off. There's a, there's a principle. There's some more seats up here. There's a principle that, that, that I was taught in school. Um, I don't know how well I learned it or applied it, you know, my teachers always tried to get me to take notes. Do you have teachers like that? And the principle is something like this. The, the, the dullest pencil is better than the sharpest mind. And when I'm studying and I have a real uh, insight into what I'm learning about in the Bible, at that moment, I am absolutely confident of one thing. I'll never forget it. This is so special. This is so special. This is Wow. I mean, I'll never forget this, and so I don't write it down. If you do two things, you're almost guaranteed to have better recall. Number one, write it down. Number two, teach it to somebody else, and you'll keep it. But otherwise, it's lost, and it's lost for, well, maybe not forever. The Holy Spirit's able to bring all these things back into our mind when we need them. But um, write it down, and then teach someone about it, and then you'll remember what you've learned. Okay. There's another thing that I would like to just mention, and I'm sort of doing this a little random. By the way, talking about my dependence upon computers, um, this yesterday afternoon my computer crashed. 
And so um, I've sort of reconstructed my thoughts and constructed new thoughts, and I suppose the Lord has a hand in everything. But um, if I'm a little disjointed, you understand. Another important principle is to pray, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. What I have often found is that I, in my human understanding of Bible study and prayer, have disjointed the two one from the other. And I don't really think that that's how God intended our devotions to be. I don't think that, I, I know that the, that the Lord did spend whole nights in prayer. And the disciples did see Jesus praying and go to him and ask him to teach them to pray. But there's nothing saying that when Jesus was kneeling during those nights, he didn't have a scroll in front of him. Do you understand what I'm saying? In fact, the Spirit of Prophecy even mentions that we, it would be good for us to study the Bible on our knees. What does that mean? What it means to me is when I'm studying the Bible, instead of saying, okay, I'm going to say a prayer at the beginning, Lord, bless me as I study, send your spirit to help me to understand, apply it to my life. Then I study my Bible, and then I have a prayer at the end. Instead of that, I really ought to be praying and talking to God throughout my devotional time. And what, as, as we move to the next point, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to show you how that can be accomplished, okay? I'm going to give you, I think we have some chalk here. I want to give you an acronym. Adventists love acronyms. And so I'm going to give you another acronym that you can add to your, your uh, repertoire. Um, this one, there, there, there are many you could, I've even seen several for Bible study. But um, the acronym that I'm going to give you right today is called ESCAPE. Okay? And this, I think, comes from 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says, um, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So someone came up with this acronym being, um, you know, the, the feeding on God's word, which is one of his ways of escape. So the, the acronym stands for this, and these are questions that you can ask yourself as you're reading any passage, whether it's in the Bible or the spirit of prophecy. We're focusing on the Bible here today. Okay? Uh, the acronym stands for this. Is there an example for me to follow? So as you're reading the passage, you ask yourself the question, is there a sin for me to avoid? Is there a command for me to obey? Can you all read that okay? All right. Um, Is there an action for me to take? Something for me to do right now. Is there a promise? For me to claim. Is there an expression? Something you should tell the Lord or someone else that you find in that passage. Now this is easy because the acronym, once you learn it and become familiar with it, you can you don't have to carry anything special with you. You don't have to you don't have to be a you know have a have a dictionary or anything else, you just remember there are there are these questions, these six questions that I'm going to ask as I read this passage. Now, the beautiful thing that that I see in this is this not only gives me a reason to engage my mind when I'm sitting there sort of, you know, not really reading, just sort of the eyes are going over the characters on the page. This gives me something to engage my mind, but it also gives me something to engage the Lord with. Because not only can you ask yourself these questions, but in reality, you can even ask the Lord these questions. Does that make sense? So now, instead of just instead of just uh, instead of just reading something and hoping something sort of jumps out at me, and the Holy Spirit is able to sort of you know wake me up from my slumber, now I'm asking the Lord, show me. 
Show me the examples that you, you've given me in the scriptures that I can emulate, I can be more like. Show me the sins that I need to avoid, that I need to be aware of, that perhaps they're even in my own heart. Um, the, the pride, the, the, the resentment, whatever it may be, the weaknesses. Show me the commands that I need to obey, the actions that I can take, what I can do today as I come out of this Bible study, how I can live my life differently. Um, and, and you'd be surprised when you, when you ask God for specific things, God is able to give specific answers. Did you realize that? The reason we have not is because we ask not. That's a fact. That is Bible truth, my friends. If you want specific answers to prayer, ask for specific things. If you want to learn specific things in the Bible, ask God to show you specific things. And, it, you know, the Holy Spirit is able to... I, we could take almost any passage in the Bible and just open it up and, and start looking at it and start asking these questions. And I don't, I don't really care how abstract or remote or seemingly disconnected the passage is from your life. If you open your Bible and pray, ask God to give you specific answers to these type of questions, He'll do it. He really will. It may not be all of these questions all the time, but as you, as you study that passage and as you, as you look at what the Bible is saying, you're going, to find, you're going to find God speaking to you like you've never had Him speak to you before. And it's not, it's not an accident. It's not because this morning you were in the right mood. It's not because this morning somehow God just happened to be wanting to bless you with favors from heaven. It's because you asked. And when you ask, God has permission to give. And uh, so I'd just like to, for, for, for the sake of it, I'd like to just take a passage and I'd like for us to sort of just read together and try to ask these questions. And uh, we prayed at the beginning, but more people have come in since we prayed and we're opening the Bible and actually studying it now. So maybe it'd be well for us to go ahead and, and pray once more. Is that fair? Let's just bow our heads. Father, we want to be in your will. We want to understand your word. And I just want to pray that now as we open its pages... You would give us a sense of its holiness and of our great need for your spirit. Um, teach us, I pray, this, this afternoon. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. I want to just turn to, let's turn to, shall we, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 18. The disciples of John and the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, Jesus... Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. No man sews a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filled up takes away from the old, and the rent is made worse. No man puts new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. Now, my personal practice would be not to read even that much before I stop and start asking some questions. But just for, because we're a group, I thought I would go a little further there. When we start asking these types of questions, is there an example for me to follow? Or you might even ask the opposite. There's an example not to follow. You both can be in a passage. What do you think? In this passage, is there something that you can learn from the example of a character or characters that are detailed here? Of course, you have Jesus. You also have the Pharisees, right? And we can stop and think about it, and you can also stop and start praying about it. Say, Lord, is there something... Wait a minute. The Jewish leaders here were trying to catch Jesus, weren't they? Because of their own spiritual pride, they didn't realize. They, didn't, they totally missed the point of fasting, didn't they? All their spiritual exercises, the things they practiced, didn't do them much good. What about me? I mean, I go to church on Sabbath every week faithfully. I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. Could I, like the Pharisees, be doing those things while missing the whole point? What does that do? What does that do immediately? When it comes into my mind, immediately it shows me that there's a danger in being a practicing Christian, right? 
There's a danger in being a Seventh-day Adventist. I could be doing all the right things, but missing the whole point. And, and actually, like the Pharisees, they were fighting Jesus instead of accepting him. And so there are things that I can learn. We go on down. Let's say, um, is there a sin for me to avoid? What is this passage teaching? New wine, old bottles. What, what, a, what is the sin or the mistake of putting new wine in old bottles, spiritually speaking? It's trying to take the truth of God into my own life. Trying to simply improve who I am without an entire transformation. You see, there's a danger even having devotions. You could think that by having devotions, you're going to sort of like instigate the process of evolution. And you're just going to evolve into a better Christian. You just stuff enough good stuff in there. And uh, eventually, right, you'll be holy. Perfect. Someday. God says, look, I'll give you a new heart. I'll create a new spirit within you. I'll make you a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And then, when you're a new bottle, then you can put new wine in it. Isn't that wonderful? God will do that for us. But I need, when I'm studying my Bible, to have the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart and saying, Chester, don't think that just reading your Bible is going to save you. It's a relationship with me. The good things you do, fasting or reading the Bible, whatever, They're not going to save you. It's knowing Jesus. It's having a miraculous conversion experience. Does that make me perfect when I'm converted? God sees me as perfect as long as I'm surrendered to Him, right? And that's all that counts. He will do the work in me, fill me with that new wine, and give me a new experience. Okay? So, um, is there a promise to claim? Well, I don't know. We We could spend more time looking at that, but... We probably better move on. Um, is there a command to take, an action, so forth? If you read the rest of the passage, which we won't take the time to do right now, you see Jesus on the Sabbath day going through and his disciples are picking corn and, and so forth. And there's a lot of things you can learn from this passage. Do you see how if you just read the passage, you could read it in four or five minutes and not really get a lot from it. But if you think about it, and I again, I can't emphasize enough, if you pray about it, The Holy Spirit will answer your prayers and teach you something that you need to know for that day from the passage. Okay, there's a couple of other questions that I'm going to I'm going to um, give you today um, that would I think be helpful. um, I, I give you questions for this reason. All of the tools of Bible study or methods of Bible study that I could teach you would only be relevant if you've learned how to ask questions. And there's only so much we can do this afternoon as far as tools. You know, I'm not going to teach how to use a concordance or a lexicon or any of those things. But if you know how to ask questions, you're going to be looking for some of those tools to find answers to the questions. Does that make sense? If, if, you know, if you know how to use your concordance, you know how to use a commentary, you know how to use a lexicon and, and all the rest to be able to dig deep into the Bible, you simply won't use them if you're not asking questions. Because if you read a passage and you're content with a superficial reading of it, if you're content by just saying, well, this is what it says, and I'm going to remember where that verse is now, you're not really going to use those other tools, even if you have them at your disposal. And so we're going to look more at some other questions that, um, that you can ask, because every other method or tool that I could give you would only be used as useful as the questions you're going to ask. Tools are only there to find answers to your questions. So what the, there's at least 10 questions, and I'll just start. What does... We're just going to put a blank there. What does it mean? What does new wine mean? What does old bottles represent? What, 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 is the, what is Jesus trying to say here? Does that make sense? What does this phrase mean? Now, if you have that f- phrase and you've asked that question, guess what? You're probably going to want to have some sort of a tool to find an answer. 
And so that's where you're going to look for your, a Bible dictionary. And any scholar is only as good as his books. So it's, uh, if you can do it online, your computers, a lot of your free programs have great Bible dictionaries. If you want to invest a little bit, I'd recommend it. Get a good Bible dictionary. Um, you don't have to have a full commentary series or anything like that, but just a good Bible dictionary. Go to a used bookstore. Sometimes the old ones are the good ones. <laughs> and so you, you don't have to pay a lot of money. See, the good, good Bible dictionary. When you ask, what does that mean? What does old wine mean? You go to a Bible dictionary or some sort of a Bible, uh, um, not concordance, encyclopedia, and, and you start learning about how they would, they would harvest the grapes and they would press the grapes into juice and then they would make these sacks, basically leather pouches, which especially when they traveled, that's how they carried the wine. Now, if you put... If you put the wine, fresh wine, into a used pouch, what do you think is going to happen to that wine? It's going to ferment very quickly because there's already the aged fermented wine residue in the bag. Does that make sense? And so, and so it's sort of like you don't mix your milk this week with what's left from last week's milk because it's going to go sour. Um, that's just something we learn. But when, 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 you, when you look in those tools, like a Bible dictionary or encyclopedia, what you're doing is you're answering the questions that you've asked, right? And so you're finding out what this old wine or new wine or new bags or, or, or um, containers is meant to, meant to reveal. What does, what does, and again, I'm going to put a blank, tell us about okay if we looked at the passage we just read what does the question that the pharisees asked jesus tell us about them what do you think what did they ask you there why don't your disciples fast what does it tell what does it tell you about them You ever think about that? But John the Baptist's disciples had some edge because they fasted. Okay. Not just the disciples. They thought they, I think, had some edge <laughs> because they fasted. There's a little bit of an air of spiritual pride coming across here, isn't there? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we're pretty conservative. We fast. You guys, why don't your disciples fast? Does that give a little more insight into maybe a lesson I can learn from them? You talk about an example to avoid or to learn. <laughs> yeah. I asked the question, why, why does this help? What does the answer Jesus gave tell him, tell us about him? I want to ask you a question. Maybe, maybe this is the next question that would come to my mind. Um, did the disciples, would they have been well served to have fasted? Probably wouldn't have hurt. <laughs> Were the disciples really converted very thoroughly? But you know, Jesus is so full of grace. Because Jesus could have blasted his own disciples. They weren't converted, by the way. Most of them, I think it's safe to say. Not thoroughly. He could have blasted them and said, Well, you know, one of these days they'll be converted and they'll start doing that too. But you know what? He simply said, Hey, do you fast when, during the wedding or are you joyful and eating feasting during the wedding? Of course, the wedding was not four hours like it is now or whatever. You know, it's a, it was a week. After they leave, after the wedding's over, then you might be down and fasting, not eating, not, not feasting. He gave an answer that covered his disciples even with grace. What does that tell me about Jesus? Jesus is so compassionate, isn't he? He, he really, he, even when, 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 he, uh, when talking to Peter, you know, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's almost like he's making excuse. He, he understands. He knows our frame, as it says in Psalms. He remembers that we're but dust. Tells me something about Jesus, doesn't it? Okay, we go on. Another question. When did, um, where did this happen? I'm just going to put where. 
Okay? When. We could ask the circumstances. The circumstances of uh, this occurrence taking place. Um, we, could, we could ask um, what... Now my handwriting is deteriorating, as you can see. What did they think or teach or believe? Sometimes it's helpful for us to think about the people Jesus was addressing. Who was he talking to? And here it's Jesus, but in, in many of the New Testament writings, it's a particular group of people. Sometimes Gentiles, sometimes people in a particular environment. When you think about, for example, Paul's letter to Philippi, the Philippians. I love that letter. It's so full of optimism and hope and rejoicing and joy. And you know what? When I ask this question, who is this passage addressed to? It makes, it makes some of those passages come with even greater depth to my mind. You ever think about rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I have learned in whatsoever state I am there with to be content. Uh, you know, uh, so Philippians 2 to 4 is just full of all of these sort of wonderful expressions of joy in any circumstances. And when you ask the question, who are they addressed to? I can imagine that letter being read on Sabbath morning in Philippi. I visited Philippi for the first time last year and, uh, and saw the remnants of that town stood by the river where, where the jailer was baptized. When I asked that question, who is this addressed to? It, it comes alive for me because I can just imagine that little church of believers maybe meeting out by the river still with Lydia, solar purple. And this letter came in from Paul. Can you imagine the excitement? Can you imagine the enthusiasm? And, and as they're reading this letter, there's one man in the back of the audience that is especially saying, yes, yes, amen. Rejoice in Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I can imagine the Philippian jailer found so much more meaning in that letter than almost anyone else did because he had listened to Paul and Silas singing when the skin was beaten off their backs and they were locked in shackles, Ellen White says their feet were raised above the forest, their bare, skinless backs were down in the dungeon, smelly, stinky, filthy floor. They were in pain and agony. What were they doing? They were singing. And so when Paul wrote to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always, and can I say rejoice, it meant even more to them than it means to us today because they had seen his life in action and what he was saying to them was don't be happy when your car won't start in the morning be happy even when you're giving your life when you're being debilitated and scarred for the rest of your life because of your faith when you're really suffering loss or pain still be happy they knew that meaning you see and so it, it makes it gives me a deeper understanding of what um, what was being said um, we could we could ask the question, why did this happen, or why was this said? When we ask the question about the Pharisees, why did they ask this? I think it's pretty clear, or at least in most cases, it was pretty clear. They were trying to trap Jesus, right? Um, it it. it it could be. We could, we could ask the question, who wrote this? When we're talking, especially in the New Testament or even the Old Testament, who wrote this? That helps us to understand. We would look at his background. You know, Paul, Paul's writing something means something a little different than Peter writing something. Um, just that passage in Philippians that I uh, referred to a minute ago, where he says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I've learned how to be humbled and how to, be, how to abound, right? To be exalted and to be abased. Um, for Paul to write that meant something quite a bit different than for Peter to write that, right? Because Peter was always just sort of a humble fisherman, you know? It's one thing for, it's one thing for me to say, you know, I've learned, I've learned how to be poor and I've learned how to be, you know, comfortable when I was always poor, you know, and, you know, sometimes I happened to get an upgrade or something. Um, but it's another thing for a person 
who has given up a tremendous amount of power, prestige, and wealth for the gospel to say that. Isn't it? So when I ask the question, who wrote this? I'm not just asking for a name. I'm asking for what their background is and what that adds to the meaning for my life today. Um, How can I apply this? Perhaps this is one of the most important questions. How can I apply this to my life? You know, no one likes a complainer, but sometimes we don't see ourselves as complaining. When I read these things, I read Paul and Philippians, I think, yeah, I've learned that. I know that. I know Philippians 2 and Philippians 4 and all those things. But when I read these things and I ask, Lord, how can I apply this in my life? I'm sometimes convicted. And you know, by the way, when you ask these questions, you're studying these Bible passages, Don't be surprised if the Lord answers your questions in ways you don't expect. Sometimes you'll say, Lord, how can I apply this passage to my own life? And later that day, out of your devotions, can God God speak to you outside of your devotional time? I hope so, right? I mean, we compartmentalize our life so drastically. But later that day, don't be surprised... If you're listening to a sermon, you go to church or you have worship or something, and something in in that message comes out and actually speaks directly to the question you ask God about in the morning. God does that. But more surprising is He uses people who aren't preaching, who may be annoying, (laughs) who may be the least spiritual in the world, your world. He'll even use them to answer some of your questions. I had I had one student this last week. I was only home one day. I had a long list of things I wanted to do. And um, I was jet-lagged and coming from overseas, and so I was sort of not as functional as I would like to have been. And so I finished the day. It was like 6 o'clock, and I had to go to a meeting. And I was walking down the sidewalk, and one of my students was there, and I said, man, I, I didn't get half the things done today that I wanted to get done. Now, in my mind, honestly, I wasn't trying to complain. But I, I, I uh, my student said to me, well, you know, um, maybe you should say it positively. <laughs> you did get half the things done you wanted to get done today. You know, the glass half empty, half full thing. I thought, oh, great. And so we had a little discussion, and and I think the consensus that we came to before we got to my meeting was, I just shouldn't have said anything at all, (laughs) because it sounded like I was complaining. And so people, God will use people to reveal answers to the questions you asked in the morning in your devotions. If you're asking questions, God can answer them. If you're not asking questions and asking Him those questions, then it's going to be harder for him to speak to you in that in that manner. Now, um, a couple of things that I would I would um, just like to sort of end with um, that might be helpful. I cannot emphasize enough this habit of asking questions. If you want to make your own list or your own acronyms, that's fine. But you get the idea, don't you? You all are sharp people. You can figure out if you have a series of questions that in this type of a manner explores more the meaning of the passage. What you're going to find is that you not only engage your mind while you're reading, but you all of a sudden start to feel a need for some additional tools. So I'm going to talk to you just in the last couple minutes about some tools that can be helpful for you in Bible study. A good Bible is important, of course. And and again, while I have appreciation for the digital age and I have Bible and everything electronic, I think, just about that I can, um, I... There's nothing that can replace an actual Bible for you to study with. I really believe that. I'm, I'm not, I know, at one point people said, these, you know, books, they're just not the same as a scroll. You know, the scroll just had that devotional nature and quality to it. But, um, but I think there's something about having the, 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 the pages in front of you, familiarizing yourself with 
yourself with the Bible and being able to mark and highlight it, um, cross-reference it. Um, I think that's a, it's a blessing. So you need a good Bible, a good translation. I'm not going to tell you which translation you need to have. It needs to be a translation, a paraphrase, as, um, as helpful as they can be as a tool, should not be the source of your study. Um, I recommend King James, New King James, uh, Revised Standard Version. Um, there's, there's a number of good translations out there that you can, you can study. The most important thing is you study them. Um, but get a good Bible. And then their next step really would be a study Bible. And a study Bible only differs because of some of the sort of compact tools that a study Bible will include. A study Bible will, also, will often have cross-references. So that when you ask yourself the question, I didn't put this question on down on, on the board. Um, I ran out of room. Um, this is an important too. Other relevant passages. Did I spell that right? I don't know. Um, other relevant passages. When you ask, is there any other relevant passages? One of the simplest tools is simply a study Bible that's going to have a, a center uh, margin or some sort of a reference that will lead you to other passages. Okay? A study Bible will also often have a, an introduction or some sort of background to each book of the Bible. And those are very helpful when you're asking the questions like, who wrote this? What were the circumstances in which it was written? Who was it written to? Because it tells you the time, the situation, some of the background of this letter and particular topics that are being addressed. Um, it might have some sort of commentary or study notes or annotations in it also. Um, you'll also find that there's a small concordance in the back of a study Bible. My favorite Bible to study from and to preach from, in fact, is the HMS Richards uh, study Bible which has some Bible studies in it, but it also has many of these tools. It's got a summary of the gospel. It's got a list of all the miracles Jesus gave. It's got, it's got a section on the intertestament period. It's got a small concordance in the back. It's actually pretty decent. So, so the small concordance is useful. You can't think of a verse. You can't think of where it's um, found. If you know some of the key words, and there's probably a good reason to stick with one translation um, because otherwise it's hard to remember which key words are in which Bible. Um, you can find that using a concordance um, it may also have a topical index, and it'll have maps. There's so much you can learn from maps. I, Americans tend to be sort of weak in the area of geography, particularly Middle Eastern, European, Asian, you know, anywhere besides, yeah, where we live or America or whatever. Um, we just, we, Americans, we're very content with our own world. And so, um, you know, there's many things you can learn from a map. I learned an important thing from a map one time. I was reading Second Kings, or Second Kings, um, maybe First Kings. I don't know. First Kings, where where Elijah is running from Jezebel. Remember after Mount Carmel and all that. Elijah runs, leaves his servant uh, Jezreel, I think, and then he runs another forty days and forty nights unto Mount Horeb, the the Mount of God, and. Um, when I looked at the map, what I found was he was running back towards Egypt and he was running to, to the mountain, Horeb, which was the twin peak of Mount Sinai. And it was as if he had climbed to the pinnacle of a spiritual relationship to God with, uh, to the point where he could pray a few simple words and fire came down from heaven and burnt up, etc., 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 right? And what more was there to experience? When you find yourself depressed after an experience like that, what do you do? You try to go to the holiest place you can possibly think of, and Mount Sinai was where the Ten Commandments were given. And he's searching for God, searching for something missing in his own spiritual life because he had become accustomed to the miraculous and the sensational. Which, by the way, is a good lesson for us in our devotions. Don't always expect the miraculous and sensational. The widow's son is not always going to be raised. The oil's not always going to keep from failing. The lightning's not always going to strike from heaven. He got to Mount Horeb, and you remember the whole story. He's in a cave, and, and uh, there's a tremendous earthquake, a tremendous fire, and a tremendous wind. The Lord wasn't in any of them. And then there's a still, small voice. And God was in that still, small voice. What I learned from that is if you're down, if you're looking for God... And you need some power in your religious experience. Don't look for the sensational. Don't try running to Sinai. Because you can hear that still small voice wherever you're willing to stop and listen. And in your devotional life, whether it's through a concordance or a map or anything else, 
in your devotional life, if you're willing to stop and listen to God's still small voice to you, He will reveal Himself to you. That's a promise. I believe it. The next step beyond a study Bible would be actually to invest in some other tools. A Bible atlas has much more detailed maps, right? A lexicon. You don't need to know the Hebrew and Greek. You can just look it up on your computer or in the Strong's Concordance. You find the Greek word and you look that number up in the lexicon. It's a much more expanded dictionary about that word. Gives you some insights you might not have otherwise. A Bible commentary. A topical index where you can look up a particular topic and all the different Bible passages that might relate to that are in there. Um, many more tools we get into. The, question, the, the important thing is ask questions. If you ask questions, you're going to be looking for answers. And when you're looking for answers, not only will God be able to show you things about yourself, lessons you can learn, but you will also find tools that will help you answering those questions. And you'll learn a lot more about the Bible. I pray that God's going to bless your devotional life. Um, I, know that, I know that He wants to. He wants to take us each to new heights with Him. Our time is up, so let's just bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we want to be in tune with you. We want to be in touch with a source of power and wisdom and knowledge and life. Lord, in this second session that we've talked about your word and our devotional experience, I just pray that the things that we've talked about might be practical. Lord, that as we spend more time with you, as we seek to, to ask more questions, not just of ourselves and of your word, but asking your spirit to teach us, that we would know more about you and that we might know more about ourselves, that we might each uh, be able to be converted each day and know Jesus better, whom to know is life eternal. We ask these gifts in Jesus' name. Amen.